the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good people from around the world who want to make a difference. and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed. The only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for episode number 321, Psych Part 1. I'm your host, Bob Ruff. And I'm your co-host, Mike Bussing. In episode 321, for the first time, we get a real feeling for who the man Kenneth Gove was. Prior to this, the only information we had was a few brief mentions in police reports and his trial testimony in a very controlled environment being asked questions by lawyers. In this case, he's sitting, I believe, in his home just having a conversation with John Catchings, the psychic. So this episode really got the wheels a turning as far as listener questions and comments and theories on social media and emails. And I know Mike has a ton of that to talk about. So Mike, let's go ahead and let you get started and just take things away. Before we do that, first I want to talk a little bit about the unfortunate passing of Margie Jackson. As I'm sure a lot of listeners know now, last week, Ed Eight's mother, Margie, passed away. It was a very sad week for all of us, and our prayers go out to Ed as he grieves the loss of his mother. It's just a really sad situation. Yeah, and thank you to all of you who downloaded the bonus episode. Where, uh, I'm sure you heard that uh, emotions were definitely running high in me when I made the decision to make that little announcement out to all of you. I always struggle with, and I think I said in the bonus that this would have been something easier to write than speak in that moment, because as I'm sure all of you heard, I was extremely emotional right then, uh, and speaking it just made it worse. I think it was actually healthy for me to do that, so I'm glad that I did, and we got the message out, but yeah, I was, my, I was, I was really, really struggling. Of course, for the passing of Margie, because I've gotten to know her over this last couple of years, and you know, we speak quite a bit, you know, quite often. She'll call me up and want to check on how things are going. And she's just, she's just such a character. And I've just, you know, I, I love the woman to death. So that was, that was heartbreaking. But really the idea that Ed was just left alone at that prison, just, you know, there was an episode last year, Mike, I'm sure you remember the one where I had just come back from visiting Ed for the first time. And I was just really, I was, I was just kind of grief stricken by the reality of his situation. Yeah. You know, where it was, it was, it, it became real for you. Yeah, and yeah. I saw my friend get like locked into that cage and watched how excited he could be over the fact that I could hand him a, a pop or a soda, whatever part of the country you're from, or a Coke. Yeah. Um, because they're not allowed to have that. And it just, it, it was kind of that same feeling again. It's just like, God, he's not going to be able to go to the funeral for his own mother. He can't talk to anybody about what's happening. And he's just left there alone. And I think part of standard protocol is even to put them on. Uh, I, I talked to Kim. She didn't necessarily say it was suicide watch, but basically were 
they will isolate someone, you know, the the inmates if something like this happens to make sure they don't hurt themselves or someone else. So you take somebody who's without their family and anyone else and then isolate them away and just make them just be alone. I just it just really got to me and and I'm I've been waiting to hear from Ed. He was supposed to call yesterday. He couldn't probably because of that quote suicide watch. Uh and I think I missed a call from him this morning. This is Wednesday when we're recording this. So hopefully soon uh, I'll have an update for all of you as far as what's going on and how Ed's doing. I, I, I Like I said, I believe he did try to call me uh, this morning, but I was at an orthodontist appointment with Quentin, my son, so we missed that. But certainly our thoughts and prayers go out to both Ed and Kim and Ed's brother Kelvin and there's more children. He has a sister named JJ, and I, I can't even name off all the family members that I'm certain are deeply affected by the loss of Margie. So I'll, I'll let you move on with what you got, Mike. For for right now, that's all we know. I, I text Kelvin before we started recording today and haven't heard back from him as far as funeral arrangements. Um, I know that Margie wanted to be cremated, and I think the plan was some kind of a memorial service on Saturday. So I will let you all know through a quick bonus episode and through social media as soon as I know. Okay, and with that being said, let's get to questions for today's episode. Okay. Our first response comes from listener Tracy. She writes, Brutally in suspense awaiting part two of Bob and Mike's method acting of the psychic's transcripts. Seems to cast serious doubt and reliability of witnesses who only came forward after an offer of reward. However, Judy Gonzalez went to Ken first. The version she told him made more sense to me than the police department's version. So which version is more accurate? Well, it's hard to know which version is more accurate or if either of them are accurate. And actually, Sunday's episode where we get the second half of this interview... We get a lot more into John Catching's opinion of Judy Gonzalez's statement. But let's talk about the fact that Judy Gonzalez went to Kenneth Go first before going to the police. That, to me, was the big kind of bombshell there. Yeah, we had no idea that they had ever spoken. It's just really crazy. Yeah, and and there's a lot of stuff that we're going to get into after this Sunday, next Sunday which will be then episode 323, uh, where we'll get into all the police reports that we've never seen before regarding this. But the fact that she had spoke to Kenneth first is huge. Uh, the method she got there, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit later, how yeah. she got to Kenneth uh, is a big deal. And then the version of the story, I mean, the fact that he, you can see during that conversation that he's reading her affidavit that was provided to him by Royster. And he says, that's bull. She was never being drugged into a car that she was being drugged down the street, and and Judy had driven by this car a couple of times. So it certainly starts to bring into question the credibility of what Judy has to say. However, we do also have to consider the fact that, yes, she came forward after it was made known that there was a possibility of a reward, and a big reward, $10,000. Mm-hmm. But then you have to consider what information did she give to get that reward? You know, it was... A white car, and she says white or gray car, uh, three black guys, one white guy. She didn't give them any information that would lead to an arrest, which is what was required to get the reward. Right. And like I'd mentioned several episodes back, if someone was just trying to give information in order to get a reward, I feel like you would get something much more. And, and the reward required there to be a conviction for Kenneth Goh's reward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you would you would expect to get information like, I saw that person do it at this time, or I know that this person did, this is how I know. Even if that information is made up, but it would be specific enough to give them information to make an arrest and a conviction so they could get the reward. So that leads me to believe that that although the reward may have been a trigger to get Judy to come forward, 
that it couldn't be the entire motivation because she just from the information she gave them, I don't think that she could have expected to get a reward out of that. Right. And then the fact that she might not have expected to get a reward out of that could add credibility to what she has to say. Sure. Yeah. And but then you do have to question the motive. So why come forward then? Why talk to Kenneth Gove then? And the two different versions of the story. Now, is Ken Gove remembering incorrectly? Or did she really tell two different versions of the story? You know, we have that, that there's just so many questions left to be answered and a lot more people now to talk to, especially after what you're going to hear on Sunday. Uh, I, I don't know as far as I guess the question here was which one is accurate, which version of the story is accurate. I don't think we have any way of knowing that to go from where we were a week ago which was the idea that Judy Gonzalez calls Crime Stoppers and says, hey, I've got a tip for you. This is what I saw. Is so different than Kenneth Gove's neighbor saying, hey, this woman knows something, and her sitting down in his living room across from him and telling him what he saw, and then Kenneth calling the police and saying, hey, talk to this woman, or making that connection for them. Those are just two very, very different scenarios, and it's going to take some time to to really get a better grasp on that. Yeah. And then you got to factor in Jesse James Swindell, the twelve year old, into that too. And we just got to, as they say, back to the drawing board. Also, Tracy was curious about the use of the name Jeff uh, in the transcripts to describe Kirby. And before you cover that, I did want to mention that I think it was in the trial transcripts. Kenneth was asked about Kirby's name, and he said his name's just Kirby. That's all we ever call him. Yeah, and that so, and that's kind of my my point. I think that is a typo in the and, and as as I'm sure you could tell, uh, I think Mike did a pretty masterful job of editing or quote method acting. Uh, but we struggled a lot because these transcripts, which once we're done with these episodes, so this Sunday probably we'll have that episode or that uh, transcript up on the website. But they're just really poorly written. So, like, you're trying to read sentences that make no sense. Yeah, it's, it's really tricky. Yeah, like, it says the word that when it should say the word they or something like that. You try to read something like that, and it's out loud, and it gets tricky. So I think that Jeff was a mistake. So then that question at trial, I believe, came from these transcripts. That's my guess. Because I know Royster said the audio quality was really bad. That's why he had it uh, transcribed. Yeah. And so once it was transcribed... I think that the defense or project, whoever had read that had saw that he has a son named Jeff in this transcript, and that's why he said, do you also call him Jeff? And Kenneth Gold's response was, no, we've only ever called him Kirby. Mm-hmm. And to answer your next question, no, Jeff is not Kirby's middle name. It's nowhere even close to Kirby's middle name. Uh, and it was not a nickname. It wasn't anything. I think that was just a typo in the transcript, and that led to uh, it being asked at trial. On that topic, let's hit pause here for just a second because I, I do want to do a little housekeeping and it just reminded me uh, when we just keep talking about transcripts here. We, about a year ago, I put out a call for people to work on transcribing the episode so that we can send them off to, at that time, Ed and Kenny and now Ed and Kenny and Jesse uh, so they can read what's going on in the podcast. And then some of them are on the website. I know Chris is working to get the website completely caught up. So the transcripts will also be on the website for you to read. That should be happening very soon, I hope, right, Chris? Wink, wink, buddy. Uh, <laughs> so we, I had literally hundreds of people that wanted to be transcriptionists. And uh, we've had our team of Sarah Hoyt and Desiree Dunn and Sarah Mueller for the last year, and they have done just incredible work. Desiree has taken it upon herself to print and mail the transcripts to to Ed and Kenny and Jesse herself at her own expense for the last year. 
Uh, and so, first of all, I want to say I'm very, very thankful for all the hard work that all three of these ladies have done. Also, moving forward, two members of the team, Desiree and Sarah Hoyt, are not going to be able to do the transcribing work anymore. Um, they have other uh, other life issues, things that are happening that are keeping them busy. Uh, they said they just don't think they can keep up anymore, it, which now they've actually put us into a pretty good place because they did not only the current episodes, but the back episodes oh, wow. to, to catch us all the way up. And I think they're completely caught up now. But uh, Desiree said she still wants to print and mail uh, the transcripts to uh, Jesse and Ed and whoever in the future happens. That's something that she really enjoys doing as a contribution. Um, but she won't be able to transcribe anymore. So of our team, the only transcriptionist that is um, still going to continue to transcribe the podcast is Sarah Mueller. And Sarah Mueller asked me to put out a call for anyone who's interested in filling this role. And she said she'd like to have a team of four. So that would be three more transcriptionists. Now, some of you may have equipment that can digitally like hear the, the podcast and, and automatically transcribe it that requires some editing. That would be awesome. I know that all three of the team that have been doing it literally just sit there and listen to it and type it out. But so you don't need any equipment. You need to be a fast typer and uh and have time on your hands and a willingness to do some pretty like I would hate this. Like this is the worst yeah. grueling work ever. Um, but if there's something you're interested in doing that you'd like to volunteer for, go ahead and send uh an email into our email address, which is theories at truthandjusticepod.com. And in the subject title, put in the subject transcriptionist, uh, so that Mike knows when he's going through those to pick out which ones there are. And we'll forward those to Sarah Mueller, and we'll all talk, and we'll and we'll work on picking out uh, another three or so people that can help with that, uh, getting the transcripts done. So that's theories at truthandjusticepod.com. If you're interested in being a transcriptionist and volunteering your time to do that with the podcast, shoot us an email, put transcription or transcriptionist in the subject, and we'll get that done. And also, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Still continue, obviously, to Sarah Mueller but also to Sarah Hoyt and Desiree Dunn for a whole lot of work they've done over the last year. Thank you, ladies, very much. All right, next we've got an email from Connie. Connie writes, What if the person being drugged into the car was a long-haired or just small male that Kiao managed to injure? Jesse, the kid at 13, could easily be mistaken about gender with things happening that quickly, or maybe there was a female with them. The Simone girlfriend. It completely throws off any hypothesis I've had, but just what if? I don't think that's completely out of the question. I think that, uh, to be honest, I, I guess this is tough because we've already recorded Sunday's episode, so we know what's coming. And it's not that that John Catchings the psychic is like, we're looking like, oh, he's a psychic. He knows. It's nothing like that. But certainly the conversation has triggered some thought process in both of us to where we're really looking at the whole thing and thinking maybe there's something completely different going on here. Uh, meaning maybe that's not what they witnessed. Maybe that's maybe they witnessed something and and then expanded upon it, or maybe maybe it didn't happen at all. We just don't know. So at this point, yes, if they saw somebody being drugged into a car, certainly it could have been someone that maybe Kiao got a piece of, and it was a, a male. That's not out of the question. Mm -hmm. But at this point, I'm questioning whether anybody was ever drugged into a car. All right, and there's been discussion from listeners about the psychic John Catching sounding more like a profiler than a psychic. Some listeners went as far to say he was doing a better job investigating the murder than detectives on the case were. Bob, what do you think about John Catchings as a psychic and his investigative nature? He's not the first thing I think of when I hear the word psychic. 
he's the best detective on the case. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is. He's just, asking all the right questions. Yeah. And yeah. you remember when I started reading, when I came across that document. So you'll see when it gets up on the website. But the the transcript, there's no title. There's no date. There's no nothing on it. So we just start reading this thing. And I don't know what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And And I thought that I was reading uh, a detective interviewing Kenneth Gove. They had no idea this was the psychic. And it wasn't until I got, you know, 20 pages into it, uh, or, you know, 10, however long it was, when he says, oh, yeah, well, the police don't like to work with me, and yeah. and all of a sudden Dallas PD has this policy, they don't work with psychics. And I was reading, I looked up to him, I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, this, this is the, so then we dug through uh, Royster's notes where he mentioned the psychic, and sure enough, John Catchings was the psychic. So uh, any of you that thought he sounds more like a detective than a psychic, I was right there with you because I thought that's what I was reading. He asks a lot of really good questions. He's very insightful, and he's talking about behaviors. and th- like It's hard to tell. Uh, be honest with you. I've never been a person that would say I believe in psychics. However, right. I've seen some weird things happen uh, and some people that know some things that, you know, maybe you know, I. this is what I know. I know that I don't know everything, mm-hmm. and I know there's things beyond my under knowledge, understanding, and control. So it's possible there is, and I think we'll probably talk about John Catchings in depth a little bit uh, as we go on here, but there's been some things this guy's done that are make you wonder. Yeah, definitely. You know, you know is it real? So in the second half of the interview that you're going to hear on Sunday, he starts to <laughs> to give his opinion, which will sound so much like a profile given by Jim Clemente, uh, yeah. the the way that he works. And then, and so remember when you're listening Sunday too that this guy doesn't know anything about this case. So he's talking about things that we know about, but then you have to think, wait a minute, he only knows what Kenneth Gove told him, and Kenneth didn't tell him that yet. How does he know that? Uh, it's pretty interesting. But then at the same time, Kenneth did give him a whole lot of information. So yeah, he's um, like I said, best detective on the case. I mean, he actually would put a lot of thought and foresight into what he was saying, the questions he was asking. And he's got some great investigative leads and some pretty amazing instincts is what you're going to hear on Sunday that if, uh, I don't know, Kyle Royster had had, we might have ended up with a different result in this case for sure. Definitely. And this is probably a good time, Mikey, because you did, you've done quite a bit of research on John Catchings, right? So like, what can, what can you tell us about him as, as a psychic that police have used? Okay. John Catchings was a psychic who worked closely with police on different investigations, uh, missing persons, murders, that kind of thing. His mother was actually a psychic, and he made some appearances on some pretty popular crime TV shows. There mm-hmm. was Unsolved Mysteries with the Sherry Everly case. There was Psychic Detective with the Michael Dickens case. Uh, the Michael Dickens case was the one where, and Bob, you and I watched it, he was able to predict the location of the body of a missing person uh, pretty accurately. That was the one, it was from from Ennis, Texas, right? Yeah, yep. And, and so I think we played that clip at the beginning of episode 321. And the amazing part about that, if you watch it, because they can find that on YouTube, right? Absolutely, yeah. Do you, do you remember what does what they would search for? Uh, psychic Detective Episode 1, I believe. Something That's like all that. you have to punch in. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So if you find that episode, there's the uh, either detective or police chief, whoever it was from Ennis, Texas, who did not like psychics, did not believe in psychics, was kind of pissed the guy was involved. And then he sits down and listens to what John Catchings has to say. And he led him directly to the body. Yeah. yeah. And not only directly to the body, but told them it's going to be, it'll be around this area and this type of location. And I'm seeing there's a shoe on top of his grave. 
And that was the part that blew the detective away was when they finally found his body, it it was in the location that matched what John was telling him. And there was a shoe on top of the grave. Absolutely. But he didn't always get it right. No, he didn't. Um, And apparently there was a case that was covered on Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, And this one was Sherry Everly. Sherry Everly had vanished while her body remains missing to this day. Her killer, William Scott Smith, is actually in jail. And Smith was already in prison at the time of the investigation where Catchings thought it was a friend of hers by the name of Daryl J. Wilson who was involved in the crime. It was actually this other guy who later on confessed to it. The sad aftermath of that is that Daryl J. Wilson, after Catchings and police confronted him, uh, committed suicide hours later. Yeah, and I I actually need to go watch this whole episode because I'm really you just again hearing you you research this and told me about it, and and again as I'm hearing you go through it again, there's like some red flags there. So what happened was, from what I understand, was Catchings did like a psychic read and said you need to go talk to this guy. Right. So then police went and talked to that guy and and kind of put some pressure on him. Left the guy kills himself. Yeah. Okay. And then later this other guy confesses to the murder correct and so the the story is catching's got it wrong and because he pointed in the direction of this other guy that caused him to commit suicide yeah maybe the case however what what i'm thinking is the other part of that story her body still hasn't been found to this day Mm -hmm. so that tells me is there a possibility that the guy that confessed didn't actually kill her like if, if he confessed why can't he point to where her body is at? Right. And of course, we all know that false confessions do happen. Also, why just being questioned would push somebody to commit suicide? We don't, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of reasons behind all of that mental illness and all that, but I don't see that as being any different. Because didn't you say that was like a boyfriend or an ex-boyfriend of? I believe they were just friends. Just friends. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a typical police investigation is going to, in, in, a, in a disappearance like that, is going to start with the people closest to them. So yeah. even without John Catchings, the police may have gone and questioned him. Yeah, you know, and and, and so that may have had the same result just by just by questioning him. So um, I'd like to hear more about that case and look into it a little more. Uh, not that I, I mean, we're just sitting here talking, but as, you know, not that I'm a, a, again big proponent or person defending psychics, but to to say that he got it wrong and call it which because I did see one headline other than even on the TV show that he got it wrong and caused somebody to commit suicide, mm-hmm. but it seems like there's a lot more to that story. Yeah, and even when I searched the forums online, there was speculation um, for and against that. You know, I mean, you've got people who say that you know this Williams guy what or this Wilson guy was actually involved in the murder. So yeah, it might need some looking into before any major conclusions are made there. But to put a button on it, most notably. Uh, I think it was his last case was uh, in 1992. He died in September of 92, I believe. And he had talked to Ken Gove in April of 92. Right. right? So just a couple months later, he died. Mm -hmm. And and most recently, uh, that same year, he helped locate the body of uh, a missing person by the name of Terry Edwards. So say what you will about the guy. There's there's uh, there's things that, you know, he might not have got right. But then also there's very promising results from this guy too so was the that last one the where they found the body was that the one that he told them where in the river to look and they found the body in the river or was that a different one actually that one was different i mean this this person was actually found in a river but it was a difference it was a that's uh, happened a couple of person yeah you know what's funny is the whole question about him being like a profiler as opposed to a uh, a psychic. And so it's funny when we're on this topic. I, I the the name of the episode I titled it "Psych" uh, was actually a reference that I was. And so far, nobody seems to have gotten it. 
but so Psych was a TV show, and I don't know, I don't remember what network it's on. I know that it's on Netflix. So if you guys, if any of you are Netflixers and you're looking for something to binge, that's kind of uh, it's interesting detectivey type stuff, but also funny. Uh, the show Psych, I watched it a couple years ago, binged it, and it is about a guy, young guy, who is just naturally gifted at being a profiler or a detective, like notices details and remembers everything and opens up shop as a psychic uh, to help police find people. But he's not psychic at all. Mm-hmm. He just he just literally just, just kind of steps in and does like a detective thing and then acts like a psychic in order to get paid as a consultant to help the police solve their cases. <laughs> That's funny. But really he's just doing their job better than they are. <laughs> uh it's it's an awesome show. I love like I found it and was just hooked and watched binge watched the entire thing. But Catchings reminded me so much of him. That's why I titled the episode Psych. Yeah. And n- nobody got it. Must not have been the most popular TV right. show. <laughs> yeah, maybe that show wasn't as popular. That's funny. <laughs> why don't we go ahead and take a break right here for the ads? All right, everybody, welcome back from our break. Let's get back to social media. On the fan page, there's been a lot of discussion about Kiao's walking pace on the day of her murder. There was debate over whether or not Kiao could make a 12-minute mile while walking. Angela says, as a runner or jogger, there's no way you can walk a 12-minute mile. I don't care who you are, and if she could, no wonder she did it alone. Everyone else would be jogging. Yeah, I saw on that actual post caused a lot of controversy on the discussion page, it seemed like. Yeah, it did. Yeah, there was a lot of, well, and not really controversy, it just, but it, it created some discussion that landed us with some pretty solid numbers. Because keep in mind, remember, I had an off-the-record source before we heard this from Kenneth that said that Kiao would time her walks between 12 and 15-minute laps. Right. Which was, you know, 12 and 15-minute miles. Uh, and then Kenneth says, what I think, 12-minute mile is what yeah, he said. Yeah, yep. And so uh, this particular listener went on a limb, God bless her, put, <laughs> put on a post and said, no, you can't do that because she's a walker and a runner. And then poor Angela got an onslaught of links and posts and things about world champion walkers. So first of all, I want to say, Angela, thank you for generating the discussion. And thanks for being a good sport with everybody, having that conversation after your post. Uh, But what we found out was it is quite possible um, for people who speed walk, uh, which is what, from what all accounts, that's what Kiao did. She wasn't going for a leisurely stroll. No. She was doing that speed walking thing. You rewalk and it's like you see people, they're just determined, their hips are bouncing back and forth and they're just moving. So that's what she's doing. And so long and short, what we found out is, yes, it is 100% possible for a five foot tall woman to walk, technically in the air quotes, walk a 12 minute mile. Uh, and for our timelines to work that we figured based on the witness statements, we needed her to be walking about a 15-minute mile. So certainly everything fits within that range. It is possible that our timeline fits. And then now we have the new information from Kenneth that says that a custodian actually saw her walking by three times. So now we have three or four different methods of tracking the fact that she made three complete laps around the school and then was attacked on her fourth lap. Sure. Let's address the elephant in the room here. Uh, Ronnie Blackwell's girlfriend's mom is the one who brought Judy to Ken. Yeah, that, if nothing else was a bombshell coming out of this discussion with John Catchings, that was it. Yeah, that's insane. What I noticed was how much of a, of a, of a really small knit community this is. The, the players all seem to run in the same circles. Who would have ever thought that Ronnie Blackwell, a potential suspect, was actually connected to, directly connected to Kiao and Ken. Well, all of a sudden, he becomes a lot better of a suspect 
to be honest with you. And so, yeah, I mean, we we certainly wouldn't have thought that based. So let's go back to where we were two weeks ago, or I guess even three before we talked with Jill Gillis and Paul Day on on the podcast, right? Uh, so before we had made the connection that Rosie Simmons is actually Rosie Simons and that Ronnie Blackwell's girlfriend is her daughter and that she's the neighbor of Kiao, before we had made all those connections, none of this stuff really mattered. And now all of a sudden, remember back what Paul Day had said when he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He said there's a lot of information that's all being controlled and coming out of that house. Right. The did. Simon's house. And that was before we knew that she's the one that brought Judy Gonzalez to Kenneth Gove's house. So uh, as far as the elephant in the room, uh, that's a it, it's certainly a big one. And it draws a lot of things into question for us now. Like, you know, what is the motivation and what was the relationship between Judy Gonzalez and Rosie Simons? Also, another thing, I don't know if anybody brought this up or you're going to address this. Who knew Judy Gonzalez was white? Oh, yeah. Wow. She, you know, she, I always, for some reason, Gonzalez, I assumed that she was Hispanic, uh, which is weird because I have photos of Ronnie Blackwell, who's clearly not Hispanic. But it didn't occur to me that Gonzalez is her husband's name and she is actually a Caucasian woman. Mm-hmm. So, one thing that I was wondering was could Judy Gonzalez be tied in with the undocumented immigrants that Sylvie was talking to us about? And turns out, no, she wasn't undocumented nor an immigrant. She's just a Caucasian woman. And so is Rosie Simons. Basically, and I've never seen any photos of Rosie Simons, but I have seen photos of her daughter. And uh, they do not appear to be Hispanic either. So they don't seem to be connected with the undocumented immigrants that were, you know, had the rumors going around about the car and the brutalizing and all that stuff that Sylvia talked about. But yeah, we definitely, like we said before the break, it's just, it's kind of back to the drawing board. Like we still have the same information we have the same witness statements but knowing where they came from and how they came to be does make a difference and it causes us to take a deeper look at the the crime scene in general all the people of interest and uh certainly uh, especially after you hear sunday's episode you're gonna think there's you know there's some new people that we need to really be digging into here and we certainly intend to do just that all right that's going to be it for social media bob but before we sign off do you want to let everybody know about our new project Yeah, so here at New Beginning, or NBI Studios, we are launching another podcast, and it's a whole another project. It is something completely out of the realm of what you're all used to, other than the fact that it is still a kind of a grassroots, crowdsourced movement, but in a very, very different way. It's something that we've had in the works for the last few weeks, and we're going to be launching this new podcast, and the podcast is titled I Am The Storm. And you should be able to subscribe on iTunes right now. Uh, It should be up already with a teaser episode. But the main episode will drop tomorrow, Saturday the 29th. So Saturday, July 29th, the first full episode of our brand new podcast out of NBI Studios, I Am The Storm, will be dropping at 6 a.m. We will also be dropping that episode on this feed. So tomorrow morning when you see there's a new episode that says, I Am The Storm, that's what that is. Uh, I will tell you, I, I hope you all listen. I think it's really interesting, and I and I feel like it's a way that we can affect change in people's lives and help people uh, in a very, very different way than what we're doing right now. Different target audience. But I will tell you, it has nothing to do with true crime, nothing like that at all. But hopefully you'll check it out either on this feed or go ahead and subscribe on iTunes today or tomorrow morning and check out I Am The Storm featuring Bob Ruff. 
And other than that, that's it for right now, Mike. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention is I did want to mention I've been checking out a new podcast that I've been enjoying, and it's one of Brooke Giddings' projects. It's actually through A&E, but she's the host, and it's called Cold Case Files. So if you haven't checked out Cold Case Files, check that one out. And other than that, hopefully you check out I Am The Storm tomorrow morning, and we'll see you on Sunday. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Mike Bussing is our executive producer. All music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. I want to thank Amanda Meyer for designing and creating the Friday follow-up logo. And thank you to our transcription team, Desiree Dunn, Sarah Hoyt, and Sarah Mueller. Thank you to Chris Brinkley of SylviaConsultants.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. And as always, thank you to all of you. Keep sending in your thoughts, theories, and ideas to theories at TruthAndJusticePod.com. Send us new cases to review at cases at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like the Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Yeah, just took the opportunity while we were on a break there. Yeah, dog's shaking his ass. It is so similar to this. So it's it's a damn it, fucking skip. You're gonna have to put the dog outside. I'm do that right now. I'm going to start that whole bit over. Yeah, right. <laughs> a little chuckle after that. I. <laughs> <laughs> What's next, asshole? <laughs> you want me to come in? Was, yeah. So I was looking right at you, buddy. <laughs> looking you right in the eyes. Looking into the depths of your soul. Sick, dude. <laughs> you know? Like, it's unsettling. It's unsettling. <laughs> it's unfucking settling. What? <laughs> looking in the depths of your soul? I'm staring in your eyes. I'm waiting for you to say something. That's a good question. I mean, Mike right now is wearing... A flannel shirt, long sleeve, in the middle of summer in Michigan, because he doesn't have enough clothing. Damn. Damn. <laughs> Why are you wearing a flannel Damn. shirt? Damn. You're wearing shorts. Why do I always wear sleeves in the studio? In a buttoned-up long sleeve flannel. Damn. Put me on blast. Okay, in right front now. of 100,000 people for no reason. We'll just nix that. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> okay. Like. Like, that's where we're at. We're just like, I don't care. (laughs) 
you you overestimate how upset I am with you. <laughs> like you just thought I was going to take. It would them. be so bad. Should take the one just <laughs> bouncing off your door. <laughs> like shit, that up. <laughs> now that would be a hostile work environment. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Welcome back from our break, everybody. Wasn't much of a break for me. I had to read an ad. <laughs> it's a joke because I said that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I know we're gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm gonna save that for the bloopers. Too. I know because you already did. I know that's why it's even funnier this week. <laughs> You're a dick. <laughs> Bring us in from the break. Okay. Also, let's address the elephant in the room here. Kiao's neighbor, Rosie Simons, is also Kiao's neighbor. Oh my god. No, I got it. Just calm down. You want some advice? Kiao's neighbor. What? I'm just wondering if you wanted any advice. Yeah. 